The sermon lesson comes from John 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is everyone born so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned, already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into this world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Our God, our prayer is simply that of the psalmist who said, would you give us life according to your word? And it is in the name of your son, the true word that we pray. Amen. So this past week, we started a new series focused on the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit, and so we're slowing down before the the day of Pentecost coming up in a few weeks to consider who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And the first week, last week, we were talking about this. We focused on the Holy Spirit as a gift. That is the way that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. It is a gift that is freely given, and it is a gift that is to be received out of love. And we zoomed out and looked at the big picture of the Holy Spirit and said the Holy Spirit is the gift of God being present with us, and the Holy Spirit is the gift of God being for us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking closer at the different ways in which God the Spirit is at work for us on our behalf 
And today our focus is on a particular work of the Spirit in the Spirit giving new life. The, the whole, whole Bible opens up with these words, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so you have here the Spirit hovering, and then all of a sudden new life begins to erupt. And God said, and there was, and God said, and there was. There is this pattern that begins the first verses of the Bible that is repeated again and again. Where the Spirit of God is, their life comes out. Many are familiar with C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and uh, the mythical land of Narnia, but there's a book that, that comes before it, The Magician's Nephew, that accounts the, the creation of this land of Narnia. And you have Aslan, this lion, who is actually walking and, and singing this new world into existence. And one of the particular images that has struck me and stuck with me is, is as this, this lion is singing and speaking this world powerfully and beautifully into existence, everywhere that he puts his paws, flowers erupt around them. What a beautiful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit, that when the Spirit shows up, life just erupts from whatever the Spirit touches. And that should tell us something very important about God's heart, about what is important to God, about what He is doing in our world and in our hearts. Because this week, as we think about the Spirit's work to bring about new life, we're we're not thinking about it on a grand scale like we saw at creation, but we're focusing in on this kind of creative, life-giving work as it happens in the human heart. And so this morning, we're going to focus on this personal level of new life, looking at the, the, the why question and the how question. So why do we need this new life that the Spirit gives and then how does the Spirit actually bring about this new life inside of us? So Holy Spirit, new life, why and how? First, the why. Why do we need this new life? So when I entered into this world almost 42 years ago, I came in just a few ounces shy of 12 pounds. Um, as my dad famously said, he knew I was destined for big things. <laughs> I don't know if this is what he had in mind, but this is what I'm doing. I was the largest baby that the doctor had delivered up to that point. Uh, so he took me around the hospital as kind of a trophy showing this feat of humanity and being born is not something that I made happen. When we talk about birth, we, we talk about it in passive language. It's something that happens to us. It's a new beginning that we did not choose to make happen, that we did not bring about. It's a radical kind of, of new start. And as we think about being born, that is the picture that Jesus uses in this conversation with Nicodemus to try to explain how the Spirit works and why we need 
the Spirit to work in our lives. Verse 3, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Or another translation, unless they are born from above. There are times where Jesus speaks in shades of gray. And there are other times where Jesus speaks in very black and white language. And this is one of those instances where Jesus speaks in very clear black and white language. Again, in verse 7, you must be born again. So if you grew up in the church, especially in the South, that that phrase being born again might bring up a a particular baggage. Um, And my encouragement to you would be to try to put that aside and try to listen to what Jesus is saying here and the picture and what it means and why it is good news. If you didn't grow up in the church, then this language might be uh, just as confusing. And the good news there is you're not alone. Nicodemus, this teacher of Israel, was also very confused about what Jesus was trying to communicate here. He asked himself, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they can't enter into their mother's womb a second time and be born. You can see this disconnect between Jesus' imagery of being born again and how Nicodemus is trying to make sense of what it means for them. And it could be that Jesus is just showing up on the scene and giving this whole new teaching that is completely foreign to anything God had been doing in the nation of Israel before that. And there's good reason why Nicodemus is confused by that. Uh, But that's not the direction Jesus goes in. Jesus asks a very penetrating question in verse 10. He says, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Jesus' point that he's going to pull out is that uh, everything he's saying is actually deeply grounded in the Old Testament. It's, It's all there. Jesus is saying, if you had eyes to see, you would be able to see that this is how the Spirit works. One of the most powerful places that we see this is in the prophet Ezekiel. So God's people had been carried off into exile for centuries. They had been turning their hearts and their lives away from God, and they found themselves taken over by a foreign nation and carried off into captivity. And God sends different prophets to speak words of comfort and words of challenge. And Ezekiel is one of those. And Ezekiel has this vision. And the vision is he sees this valley before him. But it's not an empty valley. The valley is filled with bones. Uh, It's a very morbid picture. There's just dry bones here. And And God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answers honestly, he says, oh Lord, only, only you know that. And then, then what happens is the Spirit of God moves out. And here's what's described. A rattling sound happened and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then the breath of God entered into them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet. What Ezekiel is seeing is a picture of the spiritual state of God's people. Having become hardened, having turned away from God, and the question is, can this people come alive again? 
They're not physically dead, but they are spiritually dead. And the only way for them to have life is for God's Spirit to come and breathe new life into them. There are hints of this all throughout the Old Testament. We see it again in our passage that was read by Emma just a few moments ago in Ezekiel 11. The picture there is not necessarily of of being born again or born from above or having the Spirit breathe on dry bones, but the picture there is hearts of stone. Hearts that are hardened. Hearts that have become immovable, that are no longer soft. They, They feel, but their feeling is not for God. There is not a love, there is not a trust, there's not a worship, there's not an adoration. And what God promises here is there is going to come a time where I'm going to pour out my spirit in which I'm going to take these heart of stone and I'm going to give new hearts. In 1967, the the first human heart transplant was ever performed. And so Louis Washlansky was 53 and his heart was dying. And there had been research done about is it possible for us to exchange, to take this bad heart out and to put a new, good, vibrant, living heart inside. When you think about what God is talking about here, that's a similar work. God is talking about a spiritual heart transplant that has to happen in the lives of people. This is what Jesus is saying when He draws a line in the sand and says, you must be born again. Verse 19 gives us another angle at this problem of what this stony heart looks like. It just describes this heart as loving darkness rather than light. In our worship guide, there's a reflection that talks about what this kind of change of heart looks like. Because when we talk about a change of heart, when someone says, well, I had a change of heart, what we often mean by that is just we came to this moment in life where we just decided to think differently about something. But the change of heart that God is talking about here is something much more radical, something deeper, something spiritual, something more fundamental. J.C. Ryle, a pastor in the 1800s, describes it like this. He says, To be born again, as it were, is to enter upon a new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, new affections, new likings, new dislikings, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love to things once hated and new hatred to things once loved, new thoughts of God and of ourselves and of the world and of the life to come and salvation. All of us were born into the world in need of a heart transplant. And it is only the work of the Spirit that can bring that about. It is a surgery that we cannot perform on ourselves and that we cannot perform on somebody else. It is a surgery that only the master surgeon can accomplish. That is the why of this new life that the Spirit gives. And now we want to ask the question of of how. How does the Spirit bring about this new kind of of life? And I want to say up front, there's, there's two parts of this. Part of this how is a great mystery. And part of this how is very clear. 
And so I want to start with, with the mystery of this part. And the mystery is described by Jesus using this image of, of wind. So we're just a few weeks out from hurricane season, which means we're going to see these violent storms erupt around the world with greater frequency. And on TV, you're going to see these images of 100, 150 mile per hour winds that are going to be blowing roofs off and, uh, roofs off and, and uprooting trees. But in all of these videos that you are going to see, and as you go outside, you're never going to be able to see the wind. You can't see where it comes from. You can't see where it is. You can't see where it's going. All you can see with your eyes is the effects that it has on the world around us. And Jesus takes that imagery of wind and he he says that is what the Spirit looks like in our world. It's not something that we can see with our physical eyes, but we can see the effects that it has. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This work that God is doing is something that we cannot see it in action, but we can tell its effects. It makes me think about my own life growing up um, in and out of, of the church and knowing a lot of things, but it wasn't until high school that um, God began to really do this, this deep work in my heart. Um, there were things that just did not make sense to me, and there were things that I did not want to make sense to me. Um, I remember looking at Christians in Um, around me in middle school and high school and just thinking that they were really weird. Um, And I didn't want to be like them and I didn't want anything to do with it. And then all of a sudden, God began to to pull on my heart and I began to to read the Bible kind of out of nowhere, starting with the book of Revelation. And I remember being so embarrassed about it that I would hide my Bible in my nightstand drawer. So I'd I'd move from hiding alcohol under my chair... (laughs) to hiding my Bible. That's, that's the work of the Spirit right there. I like, I'd gone from, from making fun of, of friends and people I didn't know to, to acknowledging Jesus and then to, to finding out saying, I, I want to, this is something that I want my life to be about. There, there was a drastic change in my life that, that people could see and some people were very encouraged by it and some people uh, didn't like it at all. But I, Looking back, no one could watch the Spirit at work, but they could see its imprint on my life as it was, it was changing. There were new desires. There were new hopes. There were new loves. There's something radically new that was happening. I think about Ezekiel 11, and what, what we hear there is, is this God who says what He will do in bringing new life. The how of this new life is a work of God. Don't let it lose. Don't get lost in in Ezekiel 11 and and all that's happening. Listen to this repetition of I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. God is saying, I am the one who brings this about. As I think about my own story and many of your stories, Ephesians 2 describes it so beautifully, this change that happens through the Spirit. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, 
in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship. So this is the mystery element of how the Spirit works. It's like wind. We don't control it. We don't make it start. We don't guide it. It is just a God who says, I will, and a God who does that that is completely outside of our control. But there is a clarity element of it too. And it ties into verse 14 where Jesus says something that to us probably sounds really strange, but to someone who was a teacher of Israel or to any other Israelite at that time, it would have been pretty clear what he was referencing to. It's in verse 14. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. If that totally glosses over, that's okay. It's referring back to a time after the Exodus when God's people are in the wilderness and they are wandering to the promised land and they, uh, wandering is the right term for it, they are wandering spiritually, they are wandering physically. It's been a very difficult journey for them. And God has been so faithful and yet they keep turning away against Him. And here, uh, after an act of rebellion, they, they find themselves um, being a- attacked by snakes in the middle of the wilderness. People are getting bitten, they're getting sick, and they're dying. And they're crying out to the Lord for help. And what the Lord says to Moses is, I want you to, 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 to take a stick. And what's most likely is it was a, a, a picture of a snake that would have been impaled. So he says, I want, you, I want you to do this, make this, and then I want you to hold up before the people. And as they just look on it, I'm not giving you medicine to give them. I'm not asking them to do that. All that they do is they look and they are meant to see something about who I am. Perhaps it's, it's my power over the great snake that we see all the way from Genesis 3. But I want you just to look on this and believe that I'm the God who heals. And they would look upon it and then they would be healed. There's still a lot of strangeness there. But what Jesus does is He says that was actually a sign that was meant to point to a greater lifting up, a greater act of salvation. The Son of Man also is going to be lifted up so that when people look upon Him, they might be healed. They might be rescued. Where do we see this lifting up of Jesus in a similar kind of way? That Jesus is talking about the cross. So that while there is great mystery about the workings of the Holy Spirit, we're given great clarity of how the Holy Spirit works and that He takes what Jesus has done and He helps us see that. The work of the Spirit is always to put the spotlight on Jesus. Um, There was a story that J.I. Packer, a theologian, tells as he's going to a conference and he's speaking on the Holy Spirit and he's trying to come up with an image that describes the work of the Spirit in a way that makes sense. And he's going up to this cathedral at night and he sees, uh, he sees all these spotlights um, that are casting light upon this beautiful cathedral. And because of the light, you can just you can see how big it is and how beautiful it is. And at that moment, he gets this kind of aha moment. 
And he goes on to say, that's like the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work is to put the spotlight on Jesus. On the Son of Man who was lifted up, who gave His life for us, who sacrificed everything for us, to put the spotlight on the love of a Father who would give His Son, to put the spotlight on our guilt being taken away, to put the spotlight on death being defeated. The Holy Spirit's role is not to draw attention to Himself, but to draw attention to Jesus in virtue of Jesus to the Father. And so when we think about the how of the Holy Spirit and the wind blowing, the Spirit uses means. Most pointedly, the Spirit uses the good news of the Gospel. The Gospel and the work of Jesus is like the gasoline that the Holy Spirit ignites to create a fire in our hearts that changes us forever. And so maybe the two questions as you leave today are, are number one, have have you experienced this kind of, of radical change? There are many who have been in the church their whole lives who have never experienced this kind of change in their lives. And I want to be clear here, for some people, that change happens immediately, or at least it feels like it does. And for others, it happens more imperceptibly over time. I cannot point back to a single moment when it happened, but I can point back to a season of life where I say, before then I was like this, after that I was like this. But the question is for all of us, even in here, has that change happened in us? And the second question is, is our attention, is our life about looking to Jesus? Whether we have not been born again or whether we are born again, because the working of the Spirit, if we say we want the Spirit to work in our lives, to give us this new life, day after day after day, the question is, are we looking to the very means that the Holy Spirit uses? Are we looking to Jesus? Because that is what the Holy Spirit uses to breathe this new life into us that changes us now and forever. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. I want to close with these simple words from later in John. There is debate on whether this second part of your gospel lesson is the actual words of Jesus or if it is John himself just inserting his commentary saying this is what it's all about. But either way, the message is the same. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Our God, we pray that You would um, breathe new life into us through Your Spirit. That by the power of Your Spirit, You might help us to see Jesus, the Son of God, crucified for us, raised from the dead in power, reigning as King, always with us and always for us. Give us this life, we pray, from the Father, through the Son, by the power of Your Spirit. Amen.